More than 4 billion people are eligible to vote in an election in 2024. But amid the rampant spread of disinformation and the arrival of AI technologies and deepfakes, the big question is, can democracies handle the heat? Indonesia, the world's third largest democracy, goes to the polls on February the 14th. And a number of deepfake videos have already gone viral during the campaign. In this episode, we look at what Indonesia's experience is revealing about the disinformation battleground ahead. I'm Gemma Ware, and this is The Conversation Weekly, the world explained by experts. To kick off this episode, I'm joined by Nurul Fitri Ramdani, also known as Fifi, who is the politics editor at The Conversation in Indonesia, based in Jakarta. Welcome to the show, Fifi. Hi, Gemma. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, it's great to have you on for the first time. So, Fifi, Indonesians are about to head to the polls to elect a new president. So tell me what's at stake in this election. There are more than 200 million eligible voters here in the country and around 1.75 million voters abroad. And we believe that this election will be the biggest on earth, not only because the number of the voters, but also the fact that we will uh, vote not only president and vice president, but also representatives for the parliaments in national and regional levels. And the current president, Joko Widodo, who's known as Jokowi, is standing down at the end of his two terms in office. So there is going to be a new president for Indonesia. Who are the main candidates in this presidential election? Uh, so now we have uh, three president candidates. The front runner is Prabowo Subianto, and other candidates are Anis Baswedan and Ganjar Pranowo. Both are former governors of largest provinces in Indonesia. What do we need to know about these three men? Prabowo is a former military general and also a chairman of the Gerindra Party, now the second largest political party in Indonesia. He runs with um, Jokowi's eldest son, Gibran Raka Buming Raka, which is quite spark controversy here in Indonesia. Gibran is now 36 years old and he secured his candidacy after a controversial ruling by the Indonesian Constitutional Court to change the regulations to lower the age limits for vice presidential candidates to be below 40 years old. And at that time, the court was led by Jokowi's in-law. Well, you've got some rainstorm going on in the background there, Fifi. We'll, we'll keep going. Um, I know that one of the big areas of focus in the way that the conversation is covering the Indonesian election is around disinformation and fake news. Why is that? Yes, because hoaxes, information and fake news and hate speech are uh, the biggest challenges in this election. Many research have indicated a number of intentionally misleading campaigns that are going on in social media. And the social media itself now becomes the platform that that is used the most by the public here in Indonesia to look for information about the elections and the candidates. So what spreads in social media brings very big impact on Indonesian public opinion. Actually, there have been media organizations and journalists that uh, focus on social media for fact-checking activities to eradicate misinformation. The conversation in Indonesia also launched a fact-check program. 
So we check whether the statements or the claims said by the political candidates, particularly the presidential candidates, right or wrong. So the mission is to reduce the spread of disinformation. And this vote in Indonesia is the largest election to take place since the proliferation of generative AI tools became quite widely available online. And these tools mean that it's it's quite simple to create fake videos, fake audio of political candidates. And this is a problem, not just in Indonesia, it's a global problem. People are raising alarm bells about this happening in a year where there are a lot of elections taking place. But tell me about what's happening in Indonesia. Are people talking a lot about deep fakes and AI and disinformation? Yes. One of the most worrying impacts of AI is that, you know, it has uh, exaggerating the phenomenon of disinformation, uh, especially in the political year, because AI has the ability to create and amplify disinformation. Um, There have been forms of text and photos used to influence public sentiment, false narratives, to reduce the credibility of certain candidates, which then can cause uh, confusion among voters. And tracking this information on video base in social media has become increasingly difficult. We wanted to delve a bit more into the role of disinformation and some of the kind of nascent deepfakes that are happening in this campaign. So, Fifi, thank you very much. You put me in touch with a couple of researchers that you've been working with on this. And the first person that I spoke to was Lilik Magianto. I'm a lecturer at the journalism department at Universitas Multimedia Nusantara in Indonesia. And I'm currently pursuing my PhD at the University of Canberra in Australia. But I'm currently in Indonesia. Lilik spends a lot of time thinking about disinformation or hoax, as it's called in Bahasa Indonesian. He actually trains journalists in how to do fact-checking. Now content generated by AI is making these journalists' jobs even harder. I asked Lilik to give me a rundown of some of the deep fakes circulating so far ahead of the elections. For example, deep fakes depicting the late President Suharto speaking about Golkar, a party he led for 32 years as a president. Presiden Suharto, Presiden Indonesia yang kedua, mengajak Anda... The figure in this video is saying, I am President Suharto, the second president of Indonesia, inviting you to elect representatives of the people from Golkar. Suharto is widely considered to have led one of the worst dictatorships in Southeast Asia's history. The man behind this deepfake video, Erwin Aksa, is a current member of Golkar, Suharto's old political party. In the video, Suharto is speaking to the public and inviting them to support Golkar, one of the party in a coalition with the ruling party, PDI Perjuangan, right now. Lilik said that other deepfakes are using AI to manipulate the language a politician seems to be speaking in. In one such video, the outgoing president, Joko Widodo, is depicted speaking in Mandarin. Two other AI-manipulated videos appear to show some of the candidates for this 2024 election, Prabowo Subianto and Anis Bezwadan, speaking in Arabic. They use factual videos but manipulate the voice using AI. It's useful to think about this further by analysing the use of religions and ethnicity. Because Jokowi used to be attacked of being too close to China 
and Anis Baswedan uh, used religions issues when he ran for governor of Jakarta. These videos went viral. Lilik told me that many Indonesians probably don't believe they're actually genuine, but that's beside the point. He explained that simply by sharing deep fakes of political candidates with positive traits, Indonesians tend to associate them with a better image. What you're saying is you could look at these two videos, the one of Anas speaking Arabic and the one of Jokowi speaking Mandarin, and say, okay, this makes them look really clever. Yeah, yeah. Both Jokowi and Anis, they are presented to be prominent figures who can speak many languages in a positive way. But some Indonesians and critics will see beyond that. They are using religion and ethnicity to criticize the prominent figures or to lit the fire <laughs> in society. And are there any examples of the campaigns themselves using AI in any way? Yeah, say for example, Prabowo and Jokowi's son are depicted in AI-generated cartoon and these spread massively throughout Indonesia. They use AI-generated images to retouch Prabowo and his vice president in order to attract youngsters. And there is a famous term called Gemoy, it's chubby figures. These cartoon images of Prabowo as a chubby, grandfatherly figure have a political purpose. I think, in my opinion, it successfully camouflaged Prabowo. He is a former soldier with scary and bloody background. I think Indonesian youngsters will easily forget, or they actually don't know about this candidate's background. It's not just hoaxers who can use the new AI tools, though. Some journalists are using them to debunk AI-generated fakes. Lilik told me about one audio recording that was shared on TikTok, purportedly between Ganjar Pranowo, one of the three presidential candidates, and a politician called Megawati Sukarnaputri, herself a former president of Indonesia. She's currently the leader of one of the biggest parties in the country. They're uh, speaking about the possibility of losing the game. And Indonesian journalists successfully identified that this is AI-generated conversations. These AI deepfakes have arrived in a country where disinformation was already a significant problem, something Lilik looks at in his own research. I tend to use the term information disorder because it covers two other terms, namely misinformation and disinformation. To clarify, misinformation is a general term for false information. Disinformation usually refers to a piece of content or an idea spread deliberately by a person or group who knows that it's false. Lilik told me that there's not yet been a comprehensive mapping of the misinformation and disinformation spreading during this election campaign, but he's noticed three broad patterns. The first one is misinformation that is directly related to the presidential candidate. Sometimes those kind of misinformation attacks the candidates, but some other time those misinformations praise them. The second is misinformation that tries to delegitimize the elections themselves and questions the neutrality of its organizers. This kind of misinformation usually attacks the general elections commissions of being in favor of some candidates. The last pattern, he says, is disinformation related to Jokowi, the outgoing president. It is related to Jokowi as a president, as we know that 
his son, Gibran, is running for vice president. So there are lots of misinformation related to Jokowi. Yeah, I think he is the potential target for hoaxes because public is now questioning his neutrality. Public is now questioning his presidency. Part of the reason for the misinformation problem in Indonesia, Lilik says, is a proliferation of online media outlets. There are almost 43,000 online media in the country. The number will be bigger than that if you are talking about televisions and radio. But only around 1,700 verified by the Press Council of Indonesia. At the same time, Indonesians have very low levels of trust in their media. According to the Reuters Institute Digital News Report, in 2023, only 39% of Indonesians trust what the media is telling them. After talking with Lilik, I wanted to better understand how governments in Indonesia and elsewhere in Southeast Asia are responding to the spread of disinformation, particularly when it's generated using AI. So I reached out to Nurianti Jali, an assistant professor at the School of Strategic Media Studies at Oklahoma State University in the US. She's originally from Malaysia and looks at misinformation and disinformation in the region. I asked her what she made of the deepfakes that Lilik had mentioned to me involving Indonesian politicians. That create uh, more awareness on the presidential candidates because many Indonesians are not that aware and interested in learning about a presidential candidate just yet. But that created active conversation about who they are. And you also have to understand that Indonesia is a Muslim-majority country, number one in the world. And having presidential candidates speaking fluent Arabic, people see it as a good reflection of Muslim leaders. So that you can see how in Indonesia, AI-generated content can lead to a more active political discourse and can create more awareness about a presidential candidate and eventually can, you know, perhaps create a more positive perception of this candidate. You obviously have been looking at disinformation for a while before AI became a big part of this. How significant is it in terms of the bigger picture of disinformation in this moment? So we have cyber troopers in Malaysia, we have buzzers uh, in Indonesia, and we have trolls in the Philippines that kind of like influence this political discussion, especially as we get closer to election. Cyber troopers, buzzers, trolls, these are all terms used to describe people who disrupt online behaviour, and some of them are paid to do so. In Indonesia's last presidential elections in 2019, Nuryanti told me that large numbers of buzzers were actively spreading disinformation, resulting in unrest. We saw a lot of disinformation, misinformation, which consequently led to protests after announcement of presidential election in 2019. Back in 2019, Prabowo, today's current frontrunner in the 2024 election, was standing against Jokowi, who went on to win. Prabowo's supporters at the time was not happy with Jokowi winning uh, the election and it was fooled by multiple political narratives, including misinformation and disinformation across social media. People were not happy and they went on the street and then like real physical protests after active online discourse on election results. And then that led to death of several people. We're not talking about just people punching, we're talking about people lost their lives because of like all this uh, highly emotive content they read and they consume online. 
Jokowi was the target of numerous hoaxes, including one, for example, that claimed he wanted to sell Java and Sumatra to China in exchange for writing off Indonesia's state debt. So it was an issue then, and we afraid that uncontrolled disinformation, misinformation, political misinformation can create such event again, not just Indonesia, across the Southeast Asian region. Are deep fakes and AI-generated disinformation more dangerous in democracies that are perhaps already a bit more fragile? I feel, in my personal opinion, deep fake, uh, you know, dangerous across different political structure, but of course, are more harmful for a much weaker democracy or authoritarian states. So, in Southeast Asia, we have some countries, a monarchy. We're talking about Thailand. We're talking about Brunei. So, when it comes to deep fake in such political structure, it is more concerning. Why? Because tools are at disposal by cyber troopers, secondly, by state actors to push for political narrative. And we do not have a robust AI regulation focusing on political discourse. As part of her research, Narianti studies how countries in Southeast Asia, including Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines and Singapore, are responding to the rise of mis- and disinformation. She also looks at the broader context of the ASEAN countries. This is a geopolitical economic alliance comprising 10 Southeast Asian nations. She told me that some countries in Southeast Asia are starting to consider the implementation of laws that regulate AI. We have uh, Indonesia, say for example, recently uh, came out with a guide to make sure that people are aware of how to behave and how to use AI ethically especially during like a politically charged event like an election. In Singapore, there's new AI draft on Gen AI, but still it's very uh, business friendly. The Association of Southeast Asian Nations releases a framework for governing artificial intelligence. In January this year, Singapore and the Philippines also proposed regulatory frameworks for AI to ASEAN. But Nurianti says there's no way to enforce regulation, be that within individual countries or more regionally, particularly when the definition of what constitutes misinformation and disinformation is still so murky. We have issues with defining what exactly is misinformation and disinformation. So that's why we cannot apply this when it comes to charging people or uh, we want to punish them because of what they spread online. We do not have that because it's very generic. We fail to define it properly. Narianti says that even when countries do decide to punish those who spread disinformation, it can often be politically biased. In Southeast Asian region, we have different legal structure surrounding misinformation and disinformation, and certain countries are more authoritarian in nature when dealing with fake information, be it AI, be it anything, if it's generated by people who are not off their camp, right? Researchers around the world are trying to find ways to quantify the impact of disinformation on elections. One recent article in The Conversation that looked at a range of studies on various global elections said they show it's difficult to establish a reliable causal influence of fake news and disinformation on voting behaviour. That means it's just really hard to know how much disinformation sways the outcome of an election. And so it's not going to be any easier for researchers to find out the impact of AI-generated disinformation either. How will a country know if their election has been influenced by AI, do you think? 
if we're looking at countries like Indonesia, it's kind of hard to see the impact just yet, not until after election. But historically, Indonesia, Malaysia, right? Uh, our political conversation and political behavior influenced by whatever on social media. In fact, my ongoing research, I'm trying to see what kind of AI-generated content that people saw or watch on social media and how exactly they feel about this AI content. I'm also interested in looking at how exactly the countermeasure introduced by the Indonesian uh, government with the AI ethic guideline can really impact the, the use of AI <laughs> during the election period. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Lilik Magianto and Nurianti Jali for speaking to us and to Arif Padana at Monash University in Australia, who we also chatted to for this episode. Thanks too to my colleagues Fifi Ramdani and Ike Krismantari at The Conversation in Indonesia. We'll put a link in our show notes where you can follow their coverage of the Indonesian elections in Bahasa, as well as some of our English language coverage of the election too. This episode was written and produced by Mend Marawani with production assistance from Katie Flood. Sound design was by Eloise Stevens and our theme music is by Nita Saar. Stephen Khan is our global executive editor. Alice Mason runs our social media and Soraya Nandi does our transcripts. I'm Gemma Ware, the show's executive producer. You can connect with us on Instagram at theconversation.com, on x at tc underscore audio, or email us directly at podcast at theconversation.com. Do sign up for The Conversation's free daily newsletter by clicking on the link in our show notes. And if you like what we do, please support our podcast and The Conversation more broadly by going to donate.theconversation.com. Do also please rate and review the show wherever you listen. It helps us reach a wider audience. Thanks very much for listening.